Hello, and welcome to Speak Your Truth Podcast, the only podcast dissecting the intersection of mental health and sports. Since beginning the show, I've had NFL and WNBA players, as well as MLB and NBA mental skills coaches as guests. By creating Speak Your Truth, I'm making an effort to get successful people, specifically athletes, to share their journeys of mental health, failures, obstacles, and breakthroughs. It's important to speak our truths and help others along the way. Thank you for being here. Hey guys, and welcome to Speak Your Truth. Today we have with us Christian Straka. He's a former tennis player, current Adidas Runners Global Mindset Coach, as well as in LA. He's a business owner, His company is called MindSize, where they train athletes on all levels on their mental skills and how to reach their optimal performance levels, not just in their sport, but also in life, which you'll hear Christian talk about later in the show. Thank you all for joining us. I hope you enjoy and learn something. I mean, it's quieted down a lot. Um, a lot of uncertainty, obviously, nobody knows what is, you know, really going to happen. Things are changing on a daily basis. What businesses are allowed to all be open and not, you know, and like, it's just a very complex situation right now, which you now have to deal with on a day-by-day basis in a the most flexible way you can, you know, just try to adapt to whatever new scenario is kind of presented to you. Very true. That is so true. Um, that's perfect to jumpstart us right into the interview. Um, how have you been practicing your mindfulness during this time having to stay indoors? Um, well, I mean, first of all, I'm not fully indoors the whole time. I still go outside, you know, okay. but applying social distancing. Yes. I'm not going into any uh, places that are closed or enclosed. Um, but outside, I'm still also spend time with uh, people, but mostly just like one individual at a time at like a la- larger distance mm-hmm. and try to help people, you know, coach people. Um, so still also in person but um, also digitally, of course. Um, You know, when it comes to my own practice, that is something that I do just all day, you know, and and every moment, whether it's something we call formal practice, where you're, like, dedicating time to practicing um, for extended periods of times. Most people kind of generally tend to understand, like, meditation as something that you do you know, cross-legged, sitting down in silence, maybe you're listening to a guided meditation, maybe you um, do something like a sound bath or something, you know? Yes. Um, But when you kind of keep advancing and you keep practicing, then you get to a place where that is not as secluded anymore. Mm -hmm. And actually, if, if you learn different techniques you can already learn right from the start to incorporate um, certain mindfulness techniques right from the get-go where you don't have to be sitting down you don't have to be in silence and you just go about your day and you incorporate it already just for shorter periods of time so it's more manageable 
Yes, I agree. You can definitely practice mindfulness anywhere. And I started meditating probably ooh, five years ago now. Time is flying. And um, mm-hmm. once I really started to practice, like you said, like really going deeper, I was able to like literally meditate in line at the airport because I was traveling so much at the time. And like I would get so frustrated because obviously at certain times people are traveling a lot. Lines are, you know, super long. And I was telling one of my teammates, like, yeah, like, I've, you know, started meditating in line at the airport to help me keep calm, you know, so I don't go off on anybody or anything. And she was like, what? Like, you sit down and, you know, meditate while you're at the airport? And I'm like, no, like, I stand there like normal and I'm, like, still mindful and meditating. But instead of listening to, like, rap music or some r and I'm playing meditation music and I'm just being mindful, I'm paying attention to my breaths, I'm counting, things like that, instead of just, like, standing there. So it helps a lot. It really, really, really helps a lot. Uh, So you're from Germany, Christian. Um, Is tennis big there in Germany? Is what big there? Is tennis big in Germany? Uh, Yeah, tennis is pretty big. I mean, you know, the biggest sport in Europe including Germany, uh, is soccer. Yes. And nothing comes close to soccer. <laughs> At all. <laughs> it's soccer, and then it's uh, soccer, and then it's soccer again on many, many spots after, and then maybe yes. on spot 20 or something comes the next sport. And I'm not 100% sure, but maybe tennis is the second biggest sport in Germany. Okay. I wouldn't be astounded. Yeah, it's pretty big. That's so true. Like tennis, I mean, excuse me, nothing exists except for soccer in Europe. And I learned that when I got to Spain, like it was crazy, but I love the energy. I love it so much. So that that got me into soccer, seeing how much Europeans love it. It's so awesome. Uh, What got you started into playing tennis? I started when I was four. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, just, you know, not like nothing crazy. Yeah. Um, but, like, my dad just, like, played somewhere in the club, and he took me with him, just like his little son. And then, you know, I basically tried to, like, make contact with the ball, something in that direction. Mm-hmm. And then I think, like, by the time I was, like, maybe five or something, I started to take regular lessons, okay. like once a week maybe, you know, just like really basic, like every little kid that does play tennis kind of does it that way. You know, you have yes. one individual coach or you have a group of kids. And um, then I was, you know, a little bit uh, talented when it came to that. So I improved relatively fast and then you kind of go through the ranks and then tennis before I knew it became the number one team in my life from when I was basically seven. Uh, everything was just tennis, 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 tennis for me. Yes, I can relate to that with basketball. That was like me and my dad. Um, he used to always take me to the parks with him to just watch, and eventually he allowed me to play. I think I was only like nine or ten when I actually got out there and played with him and the other guys and since then it was like that was it it was always basketball 24 7. how do you use what you learn as an athlete to help you as a coach and a trainer well um what um that really uh brings me back to basically what i'm doing right now Mm -hmm. um, which is you know mostly mental performance coaching Um, and all of that based on mindfulness skills because 
I myself, as a player, I was um, physically and from, from a coordinational perspective, I was very talented. Um, and when I played well, I played very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was not able to um, play as good as I sometimes played, um, often enough. And even if I did, it didn't necessarily even last for the entire session. So yes. I might have played a match and I started off the first set and I killed it. And then something happened, I had a certain thought and I got afraid of winning or I thought like, oh, what happens if um, I lose my touch or my feeling or I got distracted by something and then all of a sudden my performance would drop significantly. Yes. Um, and that was kind of like... Um, a theme where it was always like I was—I had a lot of potential and I could theoretically play so great and I did play well. I mean, you know, on whatever level I played, but um, I never definitely didn't get anywhere close to the potential that I had um, on a consistent basis. And then um, when I had to stop playing myself because of an injury when I was like in my early 20s, mm. um, I turned to coaching because tennis was my whole life and also um, my mentor, my coach, said he kind of had the feeling that I had a kind of a good way with people and that he thinks I could be a good coach, like if it's something that I would enjoy. So I took a little time and then after like six months, um, after I stopped playing myself professionally, I decided actually to go that route. and. Uh, and started to learn to teach and he I was very lucky because he taught me to teach which is very rare normally you just do like a coaching course you know like which I also did it took two years and you know you learn the theory behind it and you go through certain tests but when you do like a teacher certification like in tennis especially like you get some basics but you don't really like become an amazing coach just by doing like a teacher training, uh, teacher training in tennis. Exactly. Um, but um, in my case, I was so fortunate that um, I was teaching, you know, let's say four to six hours a day, and my mentor, who was my tennis coach also, um, was standing next to me and teaching me to teach the whole time. That is awesome. So you were basically teaching together, but like I would be teaching now and then he would be telling me I need to do it like this or that, or he would teach them and I would be right next to him listening to what he's saying. Um, And that was going on for six years. Wow. So um, I was very, very lucky there. So I I, um, was able to get a lot of experience in a very short amount of time, relatively speaking. Um, and then what I saw um, with all of the players that I was coaching and it was really um, I was coaching professional players that were number one in the world and Grand Slam champions and I was coaching young uh, teenagers or even younger than that I was teaching older people amateur players on all levels Um, and the one um, underlying theme, the one red line that was going through almost every single person with some very um, few exceptions was that however 
good or bad somebody was playing, whatever their maximum potential and skill level was at that time, and that was obviously vastly different if we're ta- different if we're talking about a you know a world class athlete or amateur athlete. Exactly. But independently of that, they none of them were able to get to their maximum potential that they currently have on a consistent basis and for long enough, even if they did get there. And that was um, what I realized also why everybody was getting so frustrated. It's not because they don't play well and they're frustrated with not being able to play much better than what they think they know can do. Mm -hmm. But they're getting frustrated because they know what they can do because they're doing it sometimes, but then now they're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And they're playing way worse than they just played 10 minutes ago or than what they played the day before. Exactly. Um, So once I realized that, then it was kind of obvious to me that, well, that's obviously not a physical uh, skill that all of these people are lacking. Um, And it's not a strategical skill either. Um, It's a mental skill. Uh, And to be more precise, it's actually attentional skills. It's um, being able to direct your attention to things that matter, being able to um, divert your attention away from things that are irrelevant or um, uh, have a negative influence on your performance. And then also the ability to um, be able to deal with difficulties and adversities like pain and failure and doubt and fatigue and uncertainty, which, you know, we're going through right now as a um, civilization also on a whole different level and a different way, but, you know, uh, still similar emotions are at play. That's very true. And... Um, so then I got really interested in, uh, basically the mental aspect. Um, and I found out, which I have not known until that point, that you can actually develop those skills. It's not like, oh, the number one athlete in the world, he has those skills and the number 100 athlete in the world doesn't have those skills, but he can't develop them which is what most people have assumed for a long time. Mm-hmm. But actually, we know now that, hey, if you want to uh, develop your ability to pay attention to something for an uh, extended amount of time, you can train that skill. And if you want to develop your ability to be able to deal with pain better, um, then you can develop that skill too. So what I set out to do was to start to develop those skills. And I just trained those skills as much as I could. And when I got to a point where these skills were significantly improved compared to what they used to be, Mm -hmm. when I was a professional athlete, actually, and now I was not anymore, now I was just coaching, um, I realized what the difference was just for me on a personal level. Um, It was such a significant difference that I was like, if I could do, mentally speaking, um, what I'm able to do now, if I could do that when I used to play, there was no doubt in my mind I would have been playing, you know, on yes. a whole, 
whole other level. Like, you know, I played with the top players in the world and I was um, staying with them, but then not, never for long enough. Exactly. You know? And that's basically what it comes down to. The top players in the world, um, if you're number one, one in the world or five or 20 or 100, the forehand isn't different, let's say, when we talk about tennis, you know, or in soccer, like, the other guy's not running faster than the other one. It's just, like, all these attentional skills that allow you to um, stay at your peak for uh, longer periods of time, and uh, you get there more often. And once I was able to do that um, much better, um, I decided to start teaching those skills to people rather than uh, only, uh, in quotation, um, you know, the physical skills, technique mm -hmm. and uh, strategy, but really, like, what is it that you actually need to pay attention to that can optimize your performance? And how can you develop those skills so you're able to do that? Because just knowing, understanding it intellectually, like, that you need to pay attention to the tennis ball in a particular way is important and helpful, but if you don't have the skill to pay attention to it for long enough because you get fatigued mentally mm -hmm. um, or distracted, well, then it, the intellectual understanding isn't really that helpful. It's not, it's not sufficient. That is very true. Thank you, Christian, for sharing that. So many people are going to learn so much. I just learned so much, and I totally agree with you. I've said the same thing for so long and thought I was crazy. I was like, man, like if I was that good in playing with the players that I was playing with, um, playing at the schools that I played at, like there was something missing and it wasn't physical. I have the height, I have the build, I had the speed, I was in shape, everything was perfect physically. I had the skill and the talent, obviously. Um, and I wish that someone would have pointed out sooner that it was mental and that they would have taken the time to like uh, help me or encourage me to get the proper help. My college coach um, at UK, he actually said something to me. I think it was my junior or senior year. But at, by that time, I was like, you know, I had my own opinion formed and I was like already psyched out. I was just ready to graduate and get everything over with and be done with basketball because it was that mentally draining. Um, and that brings me to my next point because you talked a lot about mindfulness and being mentally fatigued and performance and things like that. You train the average person to become a distance runner. How do you do that and get them to be mindful at the same time? And it's, I think it goes deeper than being a distance runner because at the typical job, you have to be concerned about things such as mental fatigue or distractions. How do you get the average person or how do you train the average person to become mindful? Well, I mean, um, we start off with um, the basic principle that you meet people where they're at. Yes. So um, yes. everybody, no matter, without, if you are not um, mentally disabled um, or you have some uh, significant uh, mental illness, um, all of us um, have the ability or have these abilities to, on the one side, pay attention to what we want Right, so you um, can choose to pay attention to listen to me right now, or you can choose to pay attention to uh, feeling your hands or um, whatever else, any any sense and any experience within your senses. Um, so, 
those skills, um, if you wouldn't have that skill at all, you could not direct your attention at all, or you could not maintain your attention on a certain experience at, at all, not even for a second. Mm -hmm. You could not function as a human being, basically, right? Your attention would just be pulled wherever and you would be basically a slave to where your attention is being put. Um, then the second skill that all of us have is the ability to track what we are experiencing in real time. So, um, you know, you cannot just direct your attention somewhere or um, keep your attention somewhere. You can also notice where the attention is put and then you can notice what is happening within that experience of where it is being put. So let's say you notice that you're breathing or you direct your attention to your breathing and more specifically to your uh, abdomen, to your abs. Um, then your attention is directed there, you keep it there, but you can also notice like, oh, your stomach is kind of um, lifting and then contracting again and expanding. Um, and you feel some pressure maybe. So you're in real time noticing things, right? You're tracking your experience. Um, or other people use the term awareness. You know, you're aware of what you are feeling or you are aware of what you are hearing. Right now you might be listening to me and you know that you're listening. Mm -hmm. um, you might also be thinking. And a lot of times when you're thinking, you're not aware that you're thinking, right? And you're basically spacing out or daydreaming, but you could also be tracking what you are thinking in real time. So you're thinking and you're noticing like, oh, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about X, Y, Z. So that's the second skill we all have. And if we wouldn't have, we would not be able to function. And just imagine what a person, um, uh, what the life of a person would be like if that person would never be aware ever which would basically mean they would always be spacing out 24-7. Yes. It would be, you couldn't function as a human being again, right? Very true. And then the third skill that we all have is the ability to um, be open to pleasant and unpleasant experiences and to try to allow those to be there um, without just reacting to them or without trying to suppress them when they're unpleasant and without trying to cling to them if they are pleasant. Um, even though that is how we function a lot of times, it is not um, necessarily um, something that is happening all of the time, right? So there's a certain sensation that might be unpleasant um, and I might have a real problem with it, I might really don't, not like a certain kind of pain um, from running in my leg, but maybe when you feel that same pain, you, it's actually not that big of a deal for you. Mm -hmm. um, but the pain itself is actually the exact same pain. Or it's a different experience. Maybe you're listening to a song, and one person is listening to a song, doesn't particularly like it, but like is fine with it, doesn't bother them. And the next person is listening to the same song and they're loving it. And the third person is listening to the same song and they are having the worst time of their life <laughs> because they're hating it. So um, this skill of trying to, uh, kind of being okay with what you're experiencing is also a skill that we all have. 
And that actually, in particular, is the skill that a lot of people don't realize that it is a skill that you can also develop. So um, since we all have those skills, what we do with the runners and every other athlete is we expl I explain to them how to use those skills um, at the same time, not um, individually, and how to use them so the skills can optimize their performance, right? Mm -hmm. So um, optimizing your performance while you're running means, okay, you want to run efficiently, um, which means you're not holding uh, excessive amount of tension in your body, you're running technically correct, um, you're paying attention visually to what matters, um, and you, when you lung, run for extended amounts of time, um, depending on the level that you're at, you're eventually going to be dealing with some kind of physical discomfort, might be fatigue, might be pain, right? Um, so the athletes start to use those skills with something that um, we call micro hits. Okay. So they're they're not doing they're not using those skills for a long time and not in a complex way, but they're using it for a short time. And when they use them often enough, just for very short periods of times, then already that has a beneficial impact on their performance. It's not necessary that they um, use the, the the mindfulness skills from start to finish. Mm. That is something that you can do once you have developed the skills to the degree that you're able to do that. Exactly. It's basically the, the same thing as when you go running. Like, you can't start with a marathon, but you can probably start with running uh, 100 yards at mm -hmm. least, um, and maybe even with a mile. Um, and if you have a systematic, consistent training routine that makes sense, that is individual to you, then over time, over six months, over 12 months, you will be able to run a marathon, even if you've never ran a mile before. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing with the mindfulness skills. Um, you have the skills, which is equivalent to you're able to walk, um, but you just can't run, walk or run that long and that fast yet. So with the mindfulness skills, you have those skills, um, you just can't use them for that long, and you can't use them that well all the time mm -hmm. when things get really challenging. Um, but like with the running skills, if you develop them in a systematic and consistent way, you will be eventually able to um, run an entire marathon, and you can do a proper mindfulness practice from start to finish, and it will have the effect that you will be running in the most effective way. The pain will have the least amount of uh, negative impact on you. You might be more confident. You know, you can be dealing with adversities more efficiently. You're paying attention to the parts of your body that help you run the most uh, effortless and, uh, you know, in the most ergonomic way. How do you as a coach track your athletes' growth and performance with their individual mindfulness? Well, I mean, that depends very much on um, what kind of 
uh, training program they go through. Okay. You know, I have multiple uh, avenues of how I teach people. So one is one-on-one -on -one teaching. You know, I have uh, individual clients that I see, talk to once a week, four times a week, you know. Yes. So there you obviously have a direct report and you're keeping track of the um, improvements and development in general, like on a consistent basis. Okay. Um, the, another way is um, I work with Adidas. I'm the global mindset coach for Adidas runners yes. and the mindset coach for Adidas LA. And there we work with uh, community members where we um, have sessions uh, weekly or bi-weekly. And um, we do these sessions and um, the people that I teach there um, then also always have the um, opportunity to talk to me. It's not quite the same as when you have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a client where you mm -hmm. really spend an hour or two with that person only, right? That is not possible anymore. But now you may be talking to five people, to 20 people, to 50 people. So you can talk to some of them. Um, and the ones that come regularly are the ones that you have more interaction with, right? Yes. And then um, we're developing kind of courses for them where uh, that they can go through. Oh, nice. Um, and then um, the third part I'm doing is also I have my own uh, company, uh, Mindsize, nice. with my partner Juliana Ray. And there we're delivering uh, online training um, for athletes of any level um, where they can learn the fundamental skills of how to really um, develop these techniques. We teach them what techniques there are, and what strategies they can use, and how to really implement those techniques and strategies into their sport that they can then really uh, work as efficiently as they possibly could. How, can you talk about the importance of mindfulness in our daily lives? and why it's important not only for athletes, which you touched on a little bit, but I would just want people to know that like this isn't just like mindfulness, meditation, everything, fitness, all that isn't just for the athlete. Um, wellness is for everyone. So I wanna make sure that people feel comfortable practicing and understand that this is something that to be taking to be taken very seriously. Uh, can you talk about that for us a little bit, Christian? Yeah, so... Um... You know, these skills, um, I personally focus on um, helping athletes develop and use those skills to optimize their performance. And it's kind of a narrow focus range, uh, if you will, when you look at um, what a human being is doing in their life and experience. So every athlete, obviously, is not just an athlete, um, they are... Uh, full human being that is experiencing the entire breadth of um, human experience and what life kind of throws at them. Mm -hmm. um, so even though these skills in the way I teach them are very specific for your sports performance, um, it simultaneously also translates 
to everything else that you do in life. It's, it just doesn't work the other way around as easily. So if you develop mindfulness skills for your life, um, then that is crucial and very helpful. But to narrow it down to the degree that you can figure out and know how it really will optimize your performance in your sport, that is actually quite a challenge. That's why we have created the Mind Size course. Yes. And that's also like the course that we have done in that shape and form, it doesn't exist yet. There's other courses that are also great. Okay. Um, but um, it's really something that teaches people not just to repeat a certain technique that then hopefully has overlap eventually in their sport, but it teaches them the um, foundational understanding where they then have the ability to um, decide and understand what strategy to use, what technique to use in which situation. Um, so once you understand it on that level of um, detail um, in your sport, the other way around now works very well. You can then totally use those skills that you have developed for your sport in every other situation in your life. Yes. Yes. So, you know, you can basically optimizing your performance in sports um, in general life would mean you're optimizing your happiness. So how do you optimize your happiness? You optimize your happiness by basically either um, reducing the amount of suffering that you experience, right? So uh, that doesn't mean reducing the amount of pain that necessarily that you experience. Um, pain eventually is inevitable, but how much you suffer when you are experiencing pain, that yes. is something that you can um, change. So you can reduce suffering through the, developing those skills. On the uh, other hand, you can um, increase the amount of fulfillment that you're experiencing. So the more fulfilled you are, the happier you are, right? From any given experience. So let's say you're lying at the beach and you're in the sun uh, and there's a nice breeze on your face. Um, if now you get a text message from your boss that is telling you to do something that you forgot and now you get all rattled up, um, now you're not enjoy able maybe to enjoy anymore the nice beach and the sun and the breeze. Um, but if you have those skills, then you would have the ability to direct your attention to what is actually pleasant at that moment without suppressing unpleasant experiences. Very true. So you have on the one side, your, your suffering less um, will result in you being happier. If you have if experience more fulfillment, you will be happier. Um, then the third um, part is that you starts to understand yourself better. So you start to understand yourself on a psychological level, you start to understand yourself on the experiential level, um, and the more you understand yourself, um, the happier you become, because you start to be able to then have significant insights, like 
some not a lot of people may not not everybody but a lot of people talk about insight like aha moments mm-hmm. so when you have uh, when you understand yourself better basically another way to say this you have a lot of aha moments and these aha moments uh, are very impactful and significant for you personally um, and that also increases your happiness um, then also um, what these mindfulness skills uh, impact is your um, ability to act more skillfully. So you start to make better choices for yourself. So you start to develop the ability to stop doing something that is not good for you, but you couldn't stop before. Yes. Or you do less of something that you do too much of. Yes. Or the other way around, you start to be able to start doing something that you didn't do um, or you do more of something that you're already doing but, and that is good for you but not enough of, right? And it could be something as simple as, um, you know, I know I need to get more sleep but I, um, you know, in the evenings I just can't do it because like I feel obliged to go on my phone and check my social media and then I go into this loop, ever and never-ending feed loop and uh, all of a sudden, one and a half hours have passed, you know, even though I could have already been sleeping. Yes. <laughs> um, and then the fifth part that um, increases uh, our happiness and what mindfulness skills affect is um, our desire to be of service to others. Mm-hmm. So when you develop these skills, more and more, then you will automatically start to have more compassion for people around you and not just in your vicinity, but generally um, humankind Mm -hmm. and the struggles that everybody goes through. Because if you're developing these, these mindfulness skills, you will be struggling and you will learn to deal with those struggles. Um, and then you can see yourself in a lot of other human beings. And you can see them being in the exact situation internally that you went through. And you can remember how tough it was for you, that it wasn't just as easy as flipping a switch and saying, oh, I'm okay with that now. I don't need, I don't need to worry about the pain or like, Oh, it doesn't matter that, you know, I can just put my phone away now. I don't have to look at Instagram. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not as easy as that. Um, and that a lot of times leads to wanting to be of service to others yes. in different ways. You know, philanthropy or helping people physically or in whatever means you have, you know, and are able to, you kind of start to do that. So those are basically the five dimensions of happiness. Mm-hmm. Shinzen, my uh, teacher, calls it. Um, <laughs> yes. um, what is um, what increases human happiness? I love it. I love it. And I've literally like when you were sitting here talking, I was like, "Yep, that's true. Yep, that's true. Yep, that is totally true." I've experienced all of that just from making those simple. Uh, I guess perspective changes if so to speak um, and being mindful so choosing to like you said not to suffer so if my body is in pain 
I can sit here and let it be in pain or I can get up and stretch. I can foam roll. I can go for a walk. I can exercise. Uh, when somebody's bothering me, I don't have to continue to deal with them. I can cut people off. I can move. I can, you know, go follow my dreams. I can quit my job. I can do, I can have an Android instead of an iPhone. I can literally do what I want to do to be free. Um, like you said, just, just learning who you are. Um, working out post-athletic careers has helped me with, um, definitely with smoking. I used to smoke a ton and working out just, it decreased my want to even smoke. So that helped a lot and made me want to keep working out because like you said, when you are doing something you can't stop doing for whatever reason, you have to replace it with something else. And that helped so much. So thank you for sharing that and uh, giving me the opportunity to share with people also. And uh, again, just normalize this conversation. One of the last big questions I have for you, Christian, is uh, can you provide any mindfulness tips for younger athletes, things that they can practice, some beginner tips, um, really simple things for athletes, let's say like in middle school and high school, for example? Um, yes, I mean, um, one easy way uh, I will definitely say that doesn't require a lot of explanation is um, if you want an easy and free way to kind of start training those skills is uh, either you go on Spotify, there's, uh, uh, under the Adidas has a profile in Spotify and there's a playlist called uh, um, Meditations with Christian Straka. Nice. And there's five different meditations there that are just 10 minutes in length. Okay. And anybody can listen to those. No experience is necessary for in order to be able to do that. Awesome. Then an, another option everybody has is um, Adidas also has an app called Adidas Running. And um, on that app, um, there's an option called Story Run. It's not like the easiest to find, but I mean, if somebody looks for it, they will find it. And there you have a 30-minute guided meditation that I did. Um, and you can actually choose to have it as a female voice or a male voice and in German and in English. Oh, cool. Um, and then you can run while you're meditating for 30 minutes. And um, whoever you're listening to then, but it's all the same guidance, um, is then taking you through a 30-minute guided meditation that is specific for doing it while running. Wow, that is awesome, man. Yeah. Exactly. So that's, uh, that's one way. If you live on the coast, uh, on either in Los Angeles or New York, um, or if you're, I mean, your listeners might be from everywhere in the world. So mm -hmm. if you're in any of the cities that Adidas Runners has, uh, um, has a base in, like you can go there and we have either a mindset coach um, or, you know, I'm here in LA, Amira Omar, she's in New York. And you can take advantage of that because it's everything that Adidas is offering there is free of charge. Nobody has to pay. Oh, that is awesome. And uh, you, get, you get rewarded by putting in work um, for yourself. The more you take care of yourself, the more access you have to uh, additional offerings and teachings. Um, and, yeah, it's a great project to be a part of. And then if you want to really take a deep dive into mindfulness, um, then, you know, go over to my website, mindsizesports.com, 
and uh, you check out the online course. That's an eight-week course, and then you're taking a real deep dive. Nice. So no excuses to not be mindful, basically, is what you're no, saying. No, no excuses. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the mind will be able to make up plenty of excuses. No, this is true. If it wants this is very true. <laughs> so I got two hot seat questions for you. Two quick questions. What are your favorite three books? Um, A New Earth, number one. Um, the Science of Enlightenment from Shenzhen Yang. The first one was from Eckhart Tolle. Okay. Um, and the third one, I mean, I have so many. Um, I would probably say... Uh, oh, it's from Give Daniel Coleman and Richard Davidson. It's called Altered Traits. Okay. Cool. All right, last one. Is there, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings with this question, but is there a favorite player that you've coached or are coaching and why? Uh, a favorite player? Hmm. I can say it's favorite, but... Um, if it's not my favorite, then it comes very close to it. It's definitely my good friend, Mike Bryan. Okay. Um, he's, uh, he's the most successful uh, doubles player in, the, in history. Oh, wow. He won, I don't even know, I mean, I should know, 18 or 19 Grand Slams. Oh he my was gosh. 500, 500 weeks number one in the world. Um, and um, I um, went with him to the world championships at the end of 2018 and went as his um, mindfulness coach there and he is really an amazing amazing athlete i mean basically everything that you could hope for in in, in a professional athlete always curious open to new things but at the same time not getting too uh, caught up in all the different offerings and options that there are out there so sticking to um, what he knows, what works for him, but mm -hmm. not being so um, you know narrow-minded that he doesn't want to try out new things, and is um, from all the athletes that I have ever met um, has gotten as close to optimal as possible in terms of applying a holistic approach to being an athlete. Yes. So a real holistic athlete when it comes from mindfulness to nutrition, to biohacking, to strategy, to physical workouts, to recovery. I mean, um, all of the hours that he puts into the day. Um, tennis playing itself, um, I don't know if it even comes to 20% of all of the work that he puts in to be as, you know, the healthiest, best athlete that he can be. Mm. And all of that, um, you know, he's 40 years old now. He was also the oldest number one in the world. Oh, um, my goodness. Uh, he uh, is the most humble and respectful person that you could possibly imagine. I mean, just, you know, like a dream person, basically. Yeah, I was say, everything you could hope for in a person, a player. Yeah, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty nice. It's a pretty nice, it's a pretty nice guy. <laughs> 
That is awesome. Well, I'm glad you got to gloat about your friend. <laughs> um, that is awesome, man. And it's awesome that you had the oppor- have the opportunity, had the opportunity to coach him and learn and get to teach these other players. And um, Christian, thank you so much, first of all, for being on the show. Um, I know we had some difficulties before. I deleted, somehow erased your interview and five others. And that literally sent me into a, like a mental breakdown and I just quit. I was like, I'm not doing this podcast mess anymore. I'm just going to get a regular job. And that's, that's it. Like, that was it. And, um, but it kept calling me, so I'm back. I am back. And I'm just thankful that you decided to join us on the show again and share your knowledge. You are so smart and I love listening to you. I learn something new every time. Um, and I do encourage you all listeners to do everything Christian said. Go to those pages. Follow him. Uh, check out his website because he does know what he's talking about. And um, I see the things that he's doing on there and the way he's helping athletes and the other people that he's involved with. They're doing an awesome job. So, again, thank you so much, Christian. Of course. My pleasure. Yes. My pleasure. Yes. We will certainly keep in touch. And I'm planning on yes, being in LA sure. soon. And I will be running with you. Very soon. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait. I can't wait. (laughs) Me either. Thanks again, Christian. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Speak Your Truth Podcast, the only podcast dissecting the intersection of mental health and sports. I would really appreciate it if you would take the time to rate, review, and subscribe to Speak Your Truth. If you would like to give me any feedback, ask me any questions or anything else, you can find my email on my Instagram page at speakyourtruth underscore podcast. Thank you. Speak Your Truth is meant to be educational only.